Let's pray for a second. Father, we uh, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us, the fact that you uh, have made us uh, and revealed us to be who we are, your children, and, uh, and the fact that uh, as your children, we have a, uh, a unity in the faith and, and, and understanding, Lord, that you're developing in us that we might function as uh, both as individuals and as, as members of your body in a fashion that is, uh, is just good and, and fruitful and, and, uh, and edifying one to the other. And Lord, I just pray that as we look into what your church is and with that, the, the concept, the idea, the reality of that church, when we look at what that is, how it, it should just bring awe to our, our beings and like animate us for uh, who and what you have created us to be. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the truth uh, that I, I hope is going to be conveyed in what I'm, I'm about to share here. And uh, just pray that it comes ac across plainly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, last week, I, well, I guess it was last Saturday, my sister called me and she said, Maurice, what are y'all doing tomorrow? Well, that's Saturday, Sunday. You know what you do on Sunday, right? What do you do? Go to church. You go to church, right? So uh, I said, well, we're going to go to church and then we're probably going to go have lunch afterwards. Now, I got to tell you, that sounds like a completely normal thing to say. Any of us might possibly say, mm -hmm. I'm going to church and then we're going to go to lunch after. But when you think about it, what does it mean that you're going to church? How do, what do people experience when they go to church? What is their church experience? I'm, I'm, listen, this is an open forum. I want some feedback. So what happens when you go to a church? You check the box. <laughs> They check a bunch of boxes on it because they, they send you a little envelope and then you check the boxes. But th there's more to it than, than that, thankfully, a little more to it. Go ahead. So uh, years ago, this suburban United Methodist preacher said, you know, it's really weird in the suburbs where people would come to church like consumers by going to the mall. Mm -hmm. That was what they were doing. Instead yeah. of going to the mall, they would Go to church for a little while and then do something else. Absolutely. Go to Piccadilly after. But, you know, I'm not meaning to, like, demean people's church experience. Listen, I have always loved going to church. I'm not, you know, saying if you say you're going to church, you're an hour, you shouldn't refer to it that way. Because that's just not true. But I will say what most people's experience is when they go to church is they go and they listen to someone speak. They teach like I'm doing right now. And then, or, or they feel like they're doing what their responsibility is toward God, that, you know, we're supposed to go to church. So here I am, I'm at church, you know. Or, and they go to church to sing and, you know, maybe watch a video or hear a band and be edified by the music and enjoy the music. But, so when you consider what it means to 
go to church and what you experience there, it can be kind of like what you're sharing, entertainment. And, and I don't, again, this, I'm not saying this in a demeaning fashion. I'm just saying you go hear somebody speak and you hear some good music and you're doing your responsibility, you're going to church. And that concept, that idea is, is a real shadow of what we should be knowing of as the church. We should know the church as something beyond that event that we experience on a Sunday morning. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a huge difference between thinking you should go to church or you have to go to church or going to church even for the entertainment purposes. I used to go to a church that had an incredible worship band, and sure. I went because I wanted to hear that. Um, and really desiring and wanting to come to church. That's, that's right. And um, um, I mean, I, I, I believe it's to, like a lot of what Matt said, you know, it's to be caught up with the Godhead, to be built up in the faith, to mm -hmm. be, you know, minister to, sure. you know, through the Holy Spirit uh, and the revelation of you know, our life with the Father and Absolutely. Jesus. So it's, it's taken on a whole different meaning for soul. me Absolutely. than it did in previous years. Listen, if you if you if you go to church and something is not happening inside of you, that there's not some kind of transformation taking place, there is something amiss there. If you just like go off and you say, "Well, that was a good uh, sermon," and you just go off and it's like. You, you were somehow or another intellectually edified to some degree by something that was taught, but you go off and it's like, there's almost like this disconnect there. You heard somebody say some things and teach about God and you go off and there's no real impact. There, things were not really manifesting the way they were designed to manifest. So, you know, another thing on a church, the last church that Marie and I attended, the pastor was into the desire to build community. Yeah. Okay, so it was all about the community. So we had crawfish boils, we had meetings, we had this, we had that. Everything was designed to somehow or another try to get people to get together because the church is a group, it's, it's a gathering of people. So let's Get these people together, and then we're going to be the church because we're going to be doing things together. We're going to be functioning as a community, okay? Well, though there may be some truth to the fact that a church is a community, how the church actually was designed to function and what it means to be a part of that community, it, 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 it's far, far deeper than that. Now, so what is the church? Who established the church and how is it meant to function? Now, before I get started, I'm going to give you an example. You realize that the church is called the body of Christ, yeah. right? And when you think about a body, what do you think of? The body has a head and it has parts, 
arms, hands, legs, ears, eyes. You know, the body is has a head that controls these entities. And I was thinking about this in a little more detail, and I think it's really kind of interesting to think about how the head is like the mind. Now, you know, the head is supposed to be Christ, right? Well, the head is supposed to be like the mind of the body. It is the, the initiator of all the activities of the body. And uh, the functioning parts are the members. You know, your arms, your legs, just like I was speaking of. Now, when you think about the heart, okay? The heart is, what, is, what does the heart do? It pumps blood or life to the members of the body. That's kind of like, if you think about it, it's like uh, the spirit provides life to the members of the body. Then you have like this nervous system. What does the nervous system do? It sends impulses or, or it energizes, kind of like the spirit is meant to energize the members of the body. So we have a heart that blood pumps life to the, to, the, to the members. And then you have a nervous system, this, uh, the spirit of God that, that energizes the members. And then you have ligaments and sinews that hold the body together. It just as the truth is meant to keep and hold the body together and to provide unity to the body. So it, it's crazy how the physical body kind of resembles the body of Christ. Very interesting. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give y'all a, a little bit of an example of how this is all meant to work. This is the clarinet. Now, it's been a long time since I played the clarinet. So bear with me and listen. My head ain't like the head of the head. You know what I mean? So there could be a mistake here. Let's see if I can blow this thing. Okay, let's see if I can play some. You notice That's a whole my mind is communicating something to the members and without the connection of the head to the members they ain't no music mm -hmm. there's no functioning there's no it can't happen right so we're going to look at the, we're going to start there now before we do get started though we're going to look at this our first little board here There, there are, uh, you know, 
there are churches all over the place, right? And there is a church. Is do you believe that there's a difference between churches and the church? Yes. And what I mean is there is there a particular reason there would be a difference between a church and the church? Anybody got a thought? Go ahead. Rules and regulations. That, that is a that's a good example of why you would have a lot of disparity between churches, okay? But what I'm where I'm getting at is this. So when you think of like uh, a church, there are many of them. I can tell you, they all have to some degree imperfect doctrines or ideas or concepts that are a part of their, and by the way, none of these churches would say that they're imperfect. They all think they know the answer. They all think that they know the truth. Just want you to know that. But there is not a church on the face of this earth that you can walk in and hear the, the members of that church share things that you wouldn't say I, I disagree with that. I think that's wrong. I disagree with that. So clearly, the members of these churches have flaw in them. They, 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 they're not perfect. Churches come and go. They hear one minute and they go on the next. Or some of them came a long time ago. And they should go. But they haven't left yet. That's right. But we wish they would. Okay? Failures exist there. They claim things of themselves. We are the body. We are the church. Right? We are the church. Mm -hmm. Listen, anybody tells you we are the church, leave that church and go, go to church somewhere else. <laughs> because they are not the church. No local establishment is the church. Now, I'll give you an example. Gospel Revolution Church is not the church. No. The people in this church, some of them may be the church. A lot of people in Gospel Revolution might be the church. But there are churches who are apostate churches, churches that are teaching heretical things and have the people that go to that church, plenty of them may not even know the Lord. Maybe you could have whole churches, you know, this church over here, that nobody in that church is connected to the head. You realize that? There are churches where nobody is connected to the head, which is Christ. There's nobody who has been born of God in that church. So you can have everything from a church that is growing and thriving spiritually and like flourishing and saying, you know what? That is a church. Actually, thankfully, I think this is one of those churches. I think it's this is a great church. The truth that is found here is, is great. The fellowship is great. I love this church. I wouldn't be here. But there are other churches, and I'm, there's no use pointing fingers of any, that, that have very diverse and kind of screwed up doctrines, and pe they're not even leading people to knowing the Lord. So 
what I'm trying to, to do here, okay, let's just draw a little bit of a comparison. The church. What is the church? I can tell you, the church. Everyone in the church is connected to the head. You understand where I'm coming from? Right. Does anybody have a problem with that? Everybody in the church is connected to the head. There is only one church. Its doctrine is perfect. It is not temporal. It doesn't come and go. It is an eternal church. That church will go on from now into eternity. It will never fail, and it claims nothing of itself. It claims Christ as its sufficiency in its life. Right. Now, the purpose in all of it, well, by the way, you know, you know who an example of the perfect church is? You are. Not you as a group here. If you are connected to the head, which is Christ, through the Spirit, you are that perfect church. So, and why would we say that? Why would we say that if you're connected to the head, you are that perfect church? Anybody got an idea? Come on, speak up. <laughs> yes. Yes, in the earthly world, when a person is brain dead, they just kill the body because it has no life. Yes. And without the living Christ, there is no true life That's in, right. in any of us. That's right. But if you have the life, whose life is it that you have? His life. So whose life is your life? Is that life perfect? Yes. 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 Is it not true that okay. Jesus said, uh, not Jesus. Um, well, he said it through a writer, <laughs> but the book of Hebrews says, for by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever those who are sanctified. So you are the perfect church. And let me tell you why that's so important. Well, just like on my clarinet, okay? I'm not going to play anymore, but just like on my clarinet, if, I'm, if, if my finger is connected to the head. It is going to perform a function for the head. It's going to do that because it's connected. And that is what salvation ultimately is. The, when you become connected to the head, which is Christ, and, and you look at the, these characteristics of what the perfect church is, that there is only one church, that its doctrine which is Christ, is perfect, that it is eternal, that it will never fail, that it claims nothing of itself, only Christ, and that you are that perfect church, you are getting on the road to coming to understand clearly what the church is and what it means and how you can properly function as a part of the body. All right. Why don't y'all, uh, I, I know y'all got all your, your video Bibles, so let's go to Ephesians chapter uh, 4.
we can look at what Paul describes here as a great mystery. You know what the great mystery is? The church. <laughs> it's a great mystery. By the way, just think about this one other idea. Did you ever realize that the church is actually an invisible entity? It, the church is an invisible entity. And you say, well, wait a minute. The church is an invisible entity. Isn't it made up of people that you can physically see? Absolutely. There, there is an element to the, to the church that the, the, the parts of that body are physical members that you can see. The problem is, if, if I went to the church down the street, I know you folks, I know what you believe, but if I, wherever you go, you can walk into a church and not really know who is connected to the head, right? So if you don't know who's connected to the head, how can I walk into church and, and just assume that person is a part of the body of Christ? You just don't know. It's kind of an invisible thing. The Lord, the Lord knows who are his. I don't. I don't know. I can't say you are or you ain't. The Lord knows who is his. But if you become a functioning member of his body, through being connected to the head, you're gonna be functioning the way you should. Okay, so let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verse four. And we're gonna kind of slowly read through this. Paul writes this, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you who are called to one hope which is your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, grace has been giving, given unto the measure of the gift of Christ. By the way, I want to put this over. what was the chapter or verse that you just read? That's uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. That's where we started. And I, this is where we're at right now. Now, when I say the perfecting of the church, the perfecting of the church, well, you remember I said, if you are part of the church, you, you are that perfect church. Well, why would there be a perfecting of the church? Why would you call their why could there be a perfecting of the church if you are individually a, a, a perfect member of the church? Why would there be a perfecting of the church? Anything I thought in that? I see that as bringing the member to full potential. That's right. That's exactly right. In other words, though you are that perfect member because you connected to, to, to that which is perfect, we are all growing to understand this truth. By the way, we're going to look at some scriptures that speak specifically to this. And we are growing in our abilities and understanding. And though we, it is true that we are part of it, we are a perfect member of that church. The body itself is also being built up and fit together and is growing 
into a more perfect union, kind of like uh, our Constitution says, you know. So anyway, verse, uh, verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he assigned, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is also he that ascended up far above all the heavens that, that he might fill all things. Not to get into a lot of detail with that, it's just bizarre. His spirit was released into the universe, into the whole world at his resurrection. And uh, he says this in verse 11, he says, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting, the perfecting of the body of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we come into full unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no more children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning and their cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, that we may all grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what did y'all get from that? Interesting, you would say, that we all come into the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man. I think now, it's interesting that he uses the term that we be no more children. Because, you know, you take a child, a child is a perfect human, mm -hmm. but they've yet to come into maturity. That's right. That's correct. And it envisions, so when God created man, he didn't say perfect, he said good. Mm -hmm. So perfect envisions an elevation. Sure. That's correct. Yeah, they, when, just when you think about, you know, I quoted that scripture from the book of Hebrews. But there's another scripture where Paul said, not that I am already made perfect, but I push onwards to the, toward the higher calling. Now, it's kind of like, in, in a sense, we are all perfect, not in a sense. In reality, we have all been perfected. But our hearts and our minds are not fully come into congruency with that reality. So until I, do you realize there's so many people, I mean, a huge number of people in the body of Christ that do not even realize that they have been perfected, perfected forever, that their sins have been uh, purged from them, I mean, a huge amount of, in, in, in what you would call the body of Christ or, or the, the professing church don't even know that they have been purged from their sins. Right. 
So it doesn't mean that they're necessarily not saved, that they don't possess the spirit, they're not a part of that perfect church, that they are not been that they have not been perfected. But they don't even know that they have been purged from their past sin. So you see, they're coming to know that will cause them to manifest that reality. So there, there is a perfecting of the body that's taking place. And that's why he gave some to be teachers, some to be, you know, evangelists for the, for the edifying of the body. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom, this is verse 16, the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working by which every part does its share, causing the growth of the body for the, for the edifying of itself in love. So when you think about it, man, that's the kind of relationship type of thing you want to have in a body of believers that we are, uh, how does he say it? Fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint, in other words, each joint, each member of the church uh, shares according to the effectiveness which each part does its share, causing the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Mm. You know, it's interesting he talks about how every joint supplies, because you've got people that sit out there and think, well, I, I, I don't need church. Mm -hmm. I, I don't need to be gathered together with a, with a fellowship of believers. Me and God, that's enough. Yeah. But he said it's according to every joint supplies. That's right. Well, a joint is two coming together. It's not a single. I mean, you look at this joint in my finger. Well, that's not a joint right there. That's a ligament. That's right. But two ligaments come together and make a joint. Yeah. And it's the joint that supplies. Absolutely. And uh, with, 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 you know, when you think of that, it's important because, you, you know, where, they, where, where he gives this list, he says he gave some to be uh, evangelists, some to be prophets, pastors, teachers for the edifying of the body. We think of these gifts, and which, by the way, this is not to discount what he said. Clearly, he gave specific gifts to specific people for the edifying of the body and the building up of the body. But you know what the gift really is, though? The gift isn't a specific gift. The gift is the gift of the Spirit. Yes. And everybody in the body has a gift. We're all parts of the body meant to edify and build up one another in love. So you can't read these, the, the list of gifts here and think that that's the gifts. And if you don't have one of them gifts, you're lacking. Listen, you can be a nice, beautiful, sweet wife to your husband and relate to him in love and be an active member of the body of Christ, which brings up another issue. There is a local body. 
right? I mean, when people gather together like this is a body of believers, and we consider ourselves a church. Right. And in this church, we have people. The vast majority are connected to the head. It's wonderful. And we're growing in knowledge, understanding, truth. It's good. But you know, it's interesting. I, I, I notice this when you go like to a rock concert or something like that. <coughs> you're here with this group of people and you're looking at them and you, you're kind of relating to them because you're, you're watching this music and clapping together and everything. But the concert ends and everybody in, 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 the, in the concert goes off. Never see them again. You may not see these people again the rest of your life. This church meets and we go home. We meet for what, maybe two or three hours of a week. But then we go home. This is my question. Does this invisible entity, which we call the church, the body of Christ, quit functioning as a church when you are nowhere around another believer? Yes, you, you are absolutely when, 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 when you're in Walmart or uh, at work or doing whatever you do, if you're retired and you're sitting at home, wherever you are, you are a functioning member of the body of Christ. We function as a body everywhere we go. You don't have to be with another believer doing something with another believer to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. I, I, I often said this, if there was this guy who uh, was in this ship back in the 1700s and a ship hit a storm and this guy was a believer, okay? And everything sunk, he lost his Bible, he lost everything. And he went on this desert island and there could be Indians on that island, or it could be nobody on that island. He could be stuck on that island alone. That guy on that island by himself is a functioning member of the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, to think differently, you're shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging yourself. Because when you're connected to the head, you are a functioning member of the body of Christ. Yep. Yep. Now, the purpose of the gathering of the saints or of the believers is to what? Edify the body for what? The work of ministry. The, the work, I, I hate to call it ministry, although the scriptures call it ministry. Edifying the body for the work of life. That's, that's what the purpose of the gathering is. We have certain gifts. We come together. We teach. We discuss. We interrelate with one another. So that in the end, we can do the work of ministry, which is not necessarily anywhere in the church. <clears throat> Anybody got thoughts about that? That's a, that is another example of when I say that the church is actually an invisible entity. Because this church, when y'all go your separate ways, it's not like, oh, well, that was church back then, not me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can't say, I'm not a functioning part of the body of Christ when you go somewhere where nobody knows you or what you believe in. 
I know of this one guy who actually was exiled to an island. And one might think that, you know, how's he going to be a functioning member of the body of Christ? And here he is on an island, exiled and everything. But, you know, that guy, he, he wrote a book while he was on that island. You might have heard of it. It's the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I got to shake your hand. I got to shake your hand on that. that that's good. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, he, he was on that island. And there might have been some people around there, even though he was exiled. But there ain't nobody listening to him. No. So he had to talk to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him in a big way, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Anyway, go over to Ephesians, flip over in your, in your Bible to <laughs> Ephesians 5, verse 25. You know, I had a, it's funny, Maria and I went to church, and Randall Broom was the pastor of the church, you know? And I want to tell you, he said something, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I fully... Back in the old day, before, we had 15 versions of the Bible on our cell phones. Uh -oh. Everybody had a Bible. 52. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody came to church with a Bible because they wanted to kind of follow and read with, you know, what the guy was talking. And Randall got up one Sunday. I'll never forget this. And he said, listen, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And you could hear, shush, shush. You can hear all everybody's Bible turning to that verse. And you know what he said? He said, you know, I think that is one of the sweetest sounds <laughs> I have ever heard. People flipping to read the scriptures together as a body. And I got to tell you something. When he said that, I said, I may not agree everything Randall said. I agree with that. That was good. <laughs> Repeat that again, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Now, so what we just looked at was the, the perfect man, it, or, or the body becoming edified to a point where both the body itself as a group and also as individual members become perfected through the gifts that are found in the church that we might all be built up in love. Mm -hmm. That's, that is becoming that perfect man. Now, what we're going to look at now is to understand what it is that caused the church to come into being. And again, let's go back. We're going to have a little, I'm going to tell you, there are churches and there is the church. Now, when I speak to a group of people, what I have in my mind is that I am speaking to not a church. I'm going to speak is it as if I'm speaking to the church. And why would I do that? Because if I was speaking to a church, I'd be up here judging who is and who ain't. And, and, and I, you can't do that because you really don't know who is and who ain't. 
you can certainly judge people that way. But when you are communicating truth to people, you communicate to it because these are people who have ears to hear. So when, when, when Greg is up here, he's speaking to the church, even though this is just a church. Do y'all understand where I'm coming from with that? So with that in mind, I gave y'all an example on my clarinet of how the body works and how the head controls the body that produces, you know, fruit. But I think you're going to find this kind of an interesting, he's going to give us an example of how the body is meant to function and how it actually came into being. Listen to this. And it, this is just like bizarre that he uses this analogy. He says this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that is by the truth that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or, or blemish or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now listen, I'm gonna read that to Husbands, now by the way, if you wanna have a good relationship with your wife, take this advice, okay? You don't have to go to marriage seminar. You don't have to go to, you don't have to study and read books of how to get along with your wife, his needs and her needs. You don't need all that. So all you got to do is this one thing. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word that is by the truth, that he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and, and without blemish. Can you imagine, you know, treating your wife and relating to your wife in such terms? But this is just an example or a picture of something. Listen to what he goes on to say. So men ought to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. But no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For which cause a man should leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be made one. Now listen to what he says. Now, who does it sound like we're talking about here? We're talking about husbands and wives, right? But listen to what he says. This is a great mystery because I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he, he, he takes this picture of a husband and wife and the attitude a husband should have toward his wife. You know, uh, 
saying that he should love and cherish that 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 person, and that uh, he might present himself a church without having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. But then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. So think about what he just said there. It, it's like he's telling you who you are to him. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Cherish. Holy blameless, without any flaw. That is who you are to God. And this is what the church is established and actually nourished on. In other words, it is, it is the idea and the reality and the truth that Christ so loved us as pictured in, in, in the marriage between a man and a woman. That makes sense to you? Anybody? Got any thoughts about that? Yeah, another translation has the same concept. A love marked by giving, not getting. And the American culture is the exact opposite. What they call love is getting. I'm falling in love getting something out of this person. I'm falling out of love. I'm no longer getting from this person. I'm making love. I'm getting. So as is typical, the values of the living Christ are so much more redemptive and beautiful than anything any worldly culture can give us. Oh, no question about it. And actually, that's where we should be looking for love anyway. You know, it's kind of interesting. He didn't say, uh, he said, he didn't say, let's see, get back to that verse again. He didn't say, uh, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loves the church. Uh, if she behaves rightly to, if she's good or whatever. Matter of fact, I'm going to share another little example with you. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Marie. <laughs> I've got to tell you. So, you know, Marie, she's 66 and I'm 70, okay? But most of the time on my cell phone, I got, you know, like a, a, a picture on the front page or whatever it is. And this is one of them right here. And that's Marie when she was 21 years old oh, and was my bride. Now she's only 22. <laughs> That's about the way I see it. So this is, this is what the deal is. And this is, there's a little theological question here. And it, relate, it relates to Marie and I, relates to the church, and also theology. So, you know, the Lord, we're perfect to him, right? But I got a question to ask you. This is theological, kind of blow your mind a little bit. Does the Lord 
not see what we do? Now, don't answer too hastily. The question is, is the Lord blind? And can he not see the fact that what comes out of us at times is not good? Is he blind? Or, or does he choose not to see that? I ain't going to look at that. I don't even know that they're doing it. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to answer the question for you. He ain't blind. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what you think. He knows the intentions of your heart. Right. And he knows what comes out of us. Yes. He knows right. that there is things that come out of us that are not perfect. I mean, y'all would agree with that, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Sure. It's true. But, now this is where Marie and I come into this. So, Marie, now listen. I love Marie, okay? Marie, listen, when you... <laughs> When she was his bride at 21 years. You're going to give her equal time, right? I'll give her equal time. I can tell you why. Why you say that? When Marie was, this, when this was Marie back in 21. She was so sweet to me all the time. It was like I couldn't do no wrong. I thought I was like perfect myself. And... And it was like, I'll never forget, like one day, you know, right after we met one another, I'm filling up the gas tank. And I, I, I look and she's turning around. She's looking at me filling up the gas tank. She's looking at this. Man, this is good. <laughs> this is the best fill up I ever had. You know? And, uh, but, but when you're young like that, everything's like idyllic because you're in love and you're infatuated with one another. And it's like this perfect thing. You know, but the years pass. <laughs> you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. There's a little bit of truth to that. Now, even though you don't find that in the scriptures, uh, maybe you can find that in the scriptures. But you become used to one another and you start banning and playing. One thing I can say about Marie and I, I don't take nothing serious. If I took anything serious, we'd probably be divorced for now, but, but I don't, okay? But listen, everything that comes out of Marie toward me, sometimes like she's a little disrespectful to me or whatever it is, everything that comes out of Marie to me, I recognize that there is like, it's not perfect. But when I think, listen carefully, Roman Dice. When I think of Marie, this is who I think of right here. Oh. And this is just reality. To me, that woman is perfect. And the interesting thing about that, and this relates back to the scriptures, what we're talking about, how he sees us as without blame, per perfect. He sees what we do. He sees that there's imperfection in our actions and everything. But you know who... Listen, Jay, that is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't mess with Jay. Jay is my perfect one and only son who I am well pleased with. That's how he views us. Right. He views us like he views his own son. And it's important that we begin to see that because 
so Marie and I's relationship, because I actually see her that way, I take no offense to anything that comes. If, if there's a little disrespectful talk or we banny about some stupid thing, I take absolutely no offense toward that, even though it's not perfect. Why is that? It's because how I really view her. And when it comes to the church, it's, it's the same thing between us and the Lord. He views us that way. And you want to hear the crazy part about all that. One day, the way he views us, like I see her as perfection, and one day she's going to have this beautiful glorified body and she is going to she is going to be manifest to me the way i actually see her and that is exactly is what, what is going to happen with the church the way he sees us we are going to be manifest in our glorified body even though in these earthly bodies they are wasting away we're going to be seen in in, in our perfection, and not our perfection, but the way he views us. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, all of that said, there, there's a method or a reason behind all that. It's, it's because our relational functioning with one another is driven by how we see things. How, what it is in our heart dwelling in us toward God, the way he views us. And if we are seeing us the way he actually sees us, that is going to manifest in us toward other people. Right. So if he sees us as perfect, holy, and beautiful without blemish, and we know that he sees us that way, we can look at our own shortcomings and disesteem them, laugh at them, and say, that ain't me. That's me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. What's coming out of me that ain't good, like when you're yelling at the people on the highway or whatever it is, <laughs> or, or, or you're getting an argument with the person at the, at the grocery store, whatever. That ain't me. That's me. And as we turn ourselves away from our own perception of who we are as the body of Christ, as his children, what, what, what we behold in him as he views us, is going to begin to manifest in us toward other people. And honestly, that's what I tried. My attitude toward toward my beautiful little wife here is is that's where it comes from. I know that. And actually, all of my relationships <laughs> at work, everywhere, I know that the because I can speak respectfully and in love to everybody that I deal with, even architects like. <laughs> That's hard. I mean, if y'all were in construction and you knew about architects, architects are like bad lawyers, okay? I mean, you, you tend not to, if you're in construction, you tend not to like architects. Forgive me if any architects. It, but because they nitpicky and they think you're supposed to do everything perfect, you know? But, but if you are seeing yourself the way he sees you, his life is going to manifest it, mm -hmm. and it's going to be good. And the way you look at other people, you'll be able to see past 
the, the, the weakness that is in them to who they are actually on the inside. And you, your relationships will exponentially increase and get better. Because listen, when, when, when you relate to someone in love, you can, uh, you can win a heart, especially when it's real. You're not contriving something. You know, uh, did y'all see the movie Jerry Maguire? They had this guy that would come on periodically through the movie. It was a little odd the way they did it. I, for, I don't know who the guy is, but he was an older guy. He would sit, he'd sit at a table, and he had these little wise sayings that he would say, you know. And because Jerry Maguire was in business, and, you know, the, the, you know, he was like a sports agent, uh, agent you know. At some point in the thing, he said, listen, unless you love everybody, you're not going to sell anybody. I don't know where that guy got that. But I, I, I don't think he came up with it. I don't think those were his saying. He read that or they found that somewhere. Or they made it up. I don't know. But, but, but what he said there has some real validity to it. If you relate to, to one another, to, to other people in love and in respect, I don't care who they are. I, I'm going to tell you something. If somebody said, Maurice, we're going to put you in shackles and we're going to bring you over and you're gonna, we're going to put you, give you to Vladimir Putin because we don't like you. And I'm standing before Vladimir Putin, whom the things that he's doing are, are despicable as far as I'm concerned. Okay? How I would relate to him is the way Daniel related to Nebuchadnezzar in love and in respect. And when you do such a thing, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He changed. Actually, one day, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of God. Because it, it, when you read the prayer that Nebuchadnezzar wrote after his interactions with, with Daniel, that guy believed. Okay, he came to believe. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? So Adolf Hitler, who we know what his end was, we know what his life was, we know the atrocities that he committed. Can you imagine if somebody, instead of like, being a particular way with him, with Adolf Hitler, when he was a kid. If somebody would have loved Adolf Hitler and showed him respect and goodness and the love of God, World War II may not have ever happened. Millions of people wouldn't have been killed. So you can't demean the power and the effect of an individual member of the body of Christ when he is out in the world and what, what the, the life and the love that that manifests to the people around. That's true. Anybody got any thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Um, so Ricky Gervais, the British comedian, says, hey, everyone on this time machine because they go back and Oh, you missed it. You'd encouraged him and got him into the Vienna Art School, and he could have been a, a painter and thrived. 
You're, you're missing the boat. And you're correct. The power of love can change history. And certainly can change lives. No doubt. What's that? Look at Paul. Yeah, look at the Apostle Paul. Yeah. He, he considered himself the worst of sinners because he, he had a, a, some degree of knowledge of the truth, and he, yet he was persecuting the church, you know? And he, he saw that as like the worst of sins to, to, to persecute and kill the members of the body of Christ. He saw that as like not good, really not good. But you know what? Think about this. So God sees him, and what does God see? God saw that there's something inside of that God that has value, that is very redeemable. And when Paul believes on, on the Lord, and in the Lord manifests himself inside of the Apostle Paul, there was great effect. Yeah. Great effect that's affecting us this very day. Matter right. of fact, listen to this. So we're, we're going to finish off with this. We're a little early. That's okay. So the last time we got together, I, uh, I read this. But we're going to read it again because it's worth reading, okay? This is from Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after hearing you of, of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers, so that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him that your eyes, the, uh, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the glorious riches of, the, of the, his inheritance in the saints. And what, is, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he performed in Christ when he, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, did, just understand this. What Paul said was this. The power and the gift that has been given to you as a part of his body is like the workings of his mighty power when he raised Jesus from the dead and set him in the heavenly realms. That power, now listen, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him in the heavenly realm is the power that he has given to you. And that power is not like the power to do things. It's a, the same love that was manifested that raised him from the dead and seated him in heavenly places. That love is your love. That's what he has given to you. That is the power of God. And he says, far above every principality or power or dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he 
put all things in subject on in, in subjection unto his feet and made him head over all things for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways i got to tell you when when we are when the sons and daughters of god are manifested when the lord returns and we get our glorified bodies and it is manifested who we actually are it is because it's going to be because we see ourselves for who we actually are and we're changed into that image because christ is the is our image and when we see him we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is and as he sees us and i'm going to tell you in that day all of creation is going to be in awe of him and what he manifests in the children of god in his church they're going to be at all at all of you because of what jesus has done for us and all because that's how he sees you today. Today he sees you that way. Anybody have any thoughts? I'll give you all a few minutes to think. I know that was a, a mouthful. But... You know, I, I think that um, the analogy you gave between you and Marie, I, you know, I just was thinking that the other day, like how great it was in the beginning. And now that it's been years and years, and I think what happens to all of us, sure. you just, you can't be in love like that forever. I mean, I don't know, maybe we, we will in heaven. Listen, this, this, is what the, this is what the deal is, and what's so cool, okay, yeah. is the, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I've got, just got to say this, to be honest with you. I was infatuated with Marie. I thought she was like, there's no better, she's the best, Yeah. okay? And even today, observing our growing old together, older, we're not old yet, okay, but we're getting close. <laughs> but growing older together, I have like this ridiculously great respect and high opinion of my wife. And I'm talking about even with her, you know, uh, idiosyncrasies, like we all have idiosyncrasies. <laughs> she can tell you all about mine. And, but but I but I but I gotta tell you something. Over and above it all, I'm telling you, I honestly I don't need a picture on my cell phone to remind me what she looks like. Because she looks that way to me today. When I look at Marie, I don't see a sixty-six year old woman. Mm -hmm. I see that twenty-one year old woman. I actually see her that way. That's good. And but but we know that it's not it it's not exactly like that you know I mean yeah. we do have these things you know that that aren't perfect you know we still see you know yeah yeah I agree with that but uh, that was really refreshing that to hear that out of another person you yeah. know because issues come up you sure. know and. But it's good. 
you know, yeah. when you when you when you think about like counseling people, whatever. Uh, to if you if you're dealing with someone who knows the Lord, okay, I'm telling you, they're they're getting a glimpse or a picture of who they how they appear to God is is critical to their uh, you know uh, Paul says the Lord hasn't given us the spirit of fear but of uh, love power and love and a sound mind mm -hmm. well we have those things power and love and a sound mind because we know how we are, are viewed by God and that that's why in religion in in uh, No, in churches that are claiming things of themselves and have you claiming things about yourself that are not of, of God, that picture isn't being seen. And why might that be? In other words, if, if they're presenting that, uh, That, they, that if they are claiming things of themselves, why would that tend not to have you viewing yourself the way God's <laughs> future? It's because you are painting a picture of yourself. You know, we believe this. This is us. We believe this. This is who we are. We believe this. And all of these things that we paint of ourselves, claiming things of ourselves, theologically, have us where? At odds with everybody that don't believe the way we believe. Yep. It's going to do that. But when you're teaching the truth that I am his perfection and he sees me as perfect and holy without blemish, that is what's going to manifest. You got your choice. Yep. You know, one thing that really stood out to me when I first come in contact with Gospel Revolution Church is that, you know, and you, you you can't help but make comparisons, right? Sure. So I'm comparing what I'm hearing out of here versus what I hear coming out of other churches. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me was with most congregations, you hear them speaking about how great their church is and how great their pastor is. And they go on and on and on about it, which relates to what you're saying about they speak of themselves. Yeah. The thing that was different about Gospel Revolution Church is the people I was coming in contact with were always talking about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Listen, when you, and listen, I got to tell you something. I love Greg. Yeah, y'all know that. That's why I'm here, you know. But uh, but the reason I love Greg is because he's pointing to Jesus Christ. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As as our life, as our sufficiency, as our Father. And when you when you have somebody that's pointing to Jesus as your sufficiency, and Jesus is the one who created us, how will he not 
with him give us all things. So everything that we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who Greg teaches. And, and that's why I like this church. It's a good church. Yes. One thing that, you know, that I've uh, thought about and, and, and tried to process, and I, I noticed it was throughout Scripture, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the Lord created us in His image. And then at some point, you know, talk about looking, like if you look into a mirror, mm-hmm. really we should see the, the reflection of Christ yeah, that's right. in us. And so that opinion of ourselves should be of who Christ is. And I guess if you do anything that you don't really have to do, but that you um, focus on is who God is, who Christ is, because that's who we are. And that learning of who he is, like I used to think, Growing up, that God was going to punish me mm-hmm. if I did something wrong, mm-hmm. and now I know He's not a God who punishes. And I used to think, you know, that I had to um, say certain prayers, mm-hmm. you know. But now I know, and I understand what the Lord said to Martha. You know, I'm not going to take away from Mary what she she's doing the right thing. Yeah, it's getting to know who God is to be able to understand who we are. That's right. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. I always You mentioned Mary. I, I go back. I like to think about Mary, the one who mothered the Lord. You know, <clears throat> what do the scriptures say about her? And I got to tell you, they don't say too much. I mean, she wasn't an evangelist. She wasn't a prophet, although she was kind of a prophet. <laughs> she, <laughs> she did say, say some prophetic things. But there's very little written about that woman other than this. This is probably the primary thing. Mary treasured these things up in her heart. She saw these things and treasured them. And that's what we're really meant to be. We, we're supposed to see the Son of Man as... Let me see. I'm, I'm going to try and look up a, a, a scripture real quick. Hang on for one second. I'll probably be better off doing it on the phone. All right. So, this is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And Listen to the wording of these of these scriptures here. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Now, unto us a son was given. A child is born, and a son is given to us. What should that say to us? That he is flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. That he came from man. That's why they would call him the son of man. 
and the government shall be on his shoulders. And listen to this description of him. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to establish it with justice and with righteousness from now and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. So, you know, I had somebody on Facebook recently, you know, who like wanted to say something that the Trinity is not real or whatever it is. How can this son that was born to us be the mighty God and the everlasting father? If, if Jesus was not God, it, you have a hard time refuting that kind of thing. But you know what? The, the main part of that whole thing is that he is the son of man. He joined himself with us that in him, the son of man, we might appear as the sons of God because he is one with us. And when you begin to see things like that and you, you look, Paula, as you mentioned, you look at him as if you're looking at a mirror and you see yourself in him, you see in stuff right. Mm -hmm. any, any other thoughts or questions? Yeah. Well, I guess that ought to do it. Let's just, we'll close, close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your, uh, your truth, for your love for us, and uh, the fact that we can look at the people around us differently and, and judge differently of people. Not, not that some people don't do terrible things, and that's not supposed to be something that you... Uh, don't care about, because you do care about. But it's so good that you have given us the ability to look beyond people's behavior to who they are, to be able to deal with them and relate to them in love, and that that, that love might change them and cause them to be uh, a manifestation of, of who you are. We love you. We thank you for this precious gift. In Jesus' name we pray.